So a rock star is not just an energy drink. A rock star is an amazing person. So if nobody has ever told you that you're amazing, you're a rock star. You're amazing. And we're glad that you are here. Man, I can't believe that July has almost come and gone. Like I feel bad even saying that because I wish July would just last longer and stick around forever. Next weekend is going to be a long weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have a guest speaker next weekend, our national superintendent. So like my boss's boss's boss is going to be here. You're going to want to be a part of that celebration next week if you're around. But if you're here this week, today, today's Superhero Sunday. Superhero Sunday in our next-gen world. I've seen Flash. I've seen Spider-Man. I've seen Batman. I've seen Clark Kent. I don't know if you've seen Clark Kent here today, but I've seen Clark Kent kicking around. It's awesome. I love all the energy that kids bring and young adults bring and young marrieds and seniors. It's amazing to have us all together. We're glad that you are with us on this adventure and journey. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a reality where something hasn't gone the way that you planned or anticipated? Yeah, has that ever happened before? I feel like that happens in spades in my house, okay? Like you get up in the morning and you're like, I'm going to accomplish this and this and this today. And then you get through the day and you look and you're like, I didn't do any of that. I just added to the list of what needs to get done. Sometimes in our world, things get shaped by a variety of different voices. Now, years ago, I was actually slightly addicted to this television show called The Voice. Has anybody ever seen the voice before. If you have, just raise your hand. If you're online, you can still raise your hand and look to the person beside you and say, yeah, you should be watching The Voice. So back in the day, The Voice was this epic reality TV show, and I understand reality TV, it's an oxymoron, because anything that goes on TV is not really reality. But this reality TV show that was all designed around the gift of a voice that somebody might have. So if you've never seen it before, here's the premise. You have somebody take the stage, and there was a panel of judges who were judging this individual based solely on what they heard. Because these judges weren't facing the stage, they were actually had their backs to the stage. And they would listen to this artist perform, and if they enjoyed what they heard, they'd press a button, their chair would spin around, everybody would cheer, yay! And then... Away they went with the show from that point. And sometimes that person would have to, like, choose their judge, all this different stuff. It made me think a lot about the way that our world is shaped by a variety of voices. Sometimes the voices that shape us are healthy voices. Sometimes the voices that shape us are unhealthy voices, negative, right? Whenever, whenever I face a challenge of sometimes, I, I, I can point back to my grade five teacher, Mr. Metzler, who said, I wasn't going to amount to anything in my life. That's a negative voice that shaped me. Or sometimes I can point to uh, the voice of one of my mentors, a guy named Dan, who's like, hey, Jason, I just need you to know you're really cool. It's like, okay, I'll file that away. I'll remember it for the time that I need to be reminded that I am cool, which happens a lot because my teenagers tell me I'm not cool, Okay. But Dan tells me I am cool, so Dan wins. We're shaped by voices more than we would care to admit. And what we're going to do here today is we're going to dive into the story of a man named Gideon who is shaped by three voices 
that we can learn from, be inspired by, and maybe even change the course direct trajectory of where we might be headed in terms of the voices we allow to shape our own present and future. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read all the way through, including verse 18, to kind of set the stage of who is this dude named Gideon and what are we going to be diving into in terms of voices and understanding what God might have for us here today. Starting in verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who opposed, oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Then the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you, He answered, I will stay here until you return. All right, so let's dig into this guy named Gideon a little bit. We're first introduced to this reality that Israel finds itself again. Once again, they've decided to abandon God, his rhythm of life, decided to do things in their own strength, decided to worship other gods, all this sorts of stuff. And, and because of that, God has removed kind of his protection and his provision from the community. Because that's what happens. 
when we step outside of what God wants us to do around his desires, his plan for our lives, his purposes, the free will that we have that he gives to us, when we choose to walk away from God, we choose to walk away from the many blessings that he wants to provide for us, including our protection and provision. So nation of Israel, this is right where they are. They're in that space. They've been handed over to a brand new enemy, the Midianites, who seem to be ruthless. They take everything. They come and they devastate the land, the farms. They scatter everything. They steal animals. They do exactly whatever it is that they want to do, and nobody can stop their infestation. They're in a place of misery, a place of contempt, a place of frustration, a place of of desperation. And so once again, they start calling out to God, hey, would you rescue us? Hey, I know, I know I've been bad. Would you please do something? It's like like a bad dating relationship, okay? Like you've messed up again and you're going back to your ex and saying, would you take me back, baby? Please take me back. Please take me back. I promise I'm not going to do that thing again. And then one week later, you do that thing again. It's this kind of cyclical pattern that the nation of Israel founds itself stuck in. And what's amazing to me is God never gives up. He never gives up. He never turns away forever. He never ceases loving these people that abandon him time and time and time again. He sees worth and value and purpose and passion and yeah, he, he feels the pain of loss when they continue to step away. But when they say, please, can we return into relationship? He says, okay, let's go again. This is how you know God is far superior than any human being that's ever existed or will be in existence. We have this abusive type relationship with our creator at times. We abuse his grace. We continue to to live our lives the way that we want to live our lives, expecting him to extend forgiveness and hopefulness and restore all things, and not willing to, at times, suffer the consequences of the decisions that we are making in the moment. We want to be relieved from the pain that we've inflicted on ourselves and, at times, inflicted on others Knowing and understanding that, that if we would just embrace what God invites us into us in the moment, much of that pain and that frustration could have been avoided in the first place. And so instead of this abusive type relationship, what if, it, what if you and I embraced a new reality? One is committed in terms of faithfulness and walking in tandem relationship and connection to the best of our ability Instead of expecting to be bailed out all of the time. Now, that doesn't mean that we can save ourselves. What that means is we need to live wisely. When I look at Gideon, I see somebody that is filled with a little bit of fear. Rightfully so. I mean, everything that's happening in his world, it, it, it demands a response of some kind. His response is fear. Here's the first voice that we're kind of looking at. The voice of fear, which is prominent in our world, causes us to do one thing, hide. The voice of fear causes us to hide. 
When we're introduced to Gideon, we are found, Gideon is found threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. I've got a photo of what that looks like. It's going to be on screen here in just a moment. A wine press with this sort of like cave hole structure dug out of a mountain, okay? Sometimes there was a ladder to go down, and there's many reasons why this occurred. Number one, when you're making wine, you want to make sure that you can control the environment in which it is produced. So that all the impurities and negative elements from, from the, the environment that you're in aren't going to infect the product that you're producing. And so they wanted to control the amount of sunlight. They wanted to control the amount of dust from the wind. All these different pieces were a part of the process of making wine. And so they'd carve out these big massive holes and caves and actually produce wine in those spaces. These were not meant for anything else outside of producing wine. But Gideon, we're told, is, is, we, we're introduced to him. He's in the bottom of one of these things, threshing wheat. Now, threshing wheat, what would happen if you're regularly doing this in the traditional way at the time, it would be in an open, flat field of some kind. Lots of space where you could literally smash the, the, and separate the heads of grain from the chaff, from the wheat, from the straw that it was connected to. But because the Midianites were always looking for people to prey on, Gideon knew, hey, I've got to do what I would normally do in a different way and in a different environment and a different space so that I can make sure that I have enough for myself and probably my family to feed them. A lot of people think, oh, man, you know, he was really courageous. He was really strong. He was really intellectual. He was smart. He was all of these things. Gideon came up with this idea to thresh wheat in the bottom of a wine press. And that might be true because survival causes us to do a various, a various things. But most importantly, I think he was motivated more by fear than anything else. Because fear causes us to hide. He didn't want what he had taken from him and so he hid it from those people that could take it from him. Think about it like this. That is the exact same way we can approach our relationship with God at times. We don't want our freedom to be impeded in any way. And so what we try to do is hide that part of ourselves away from God, who is all-knowing and sees everything. Like it's an insane idea, but we trick ourselves into believing that if we can hide away from God, then he's not going to see what we've done or what we're about to do or what we're contemplating. And we won't have to worry about any of the ramifications. We can just ask for forgiveness once it's later, once, once it's done later, Right? That's what we sometimes approach this kind of reality and connection with God. And this isn't unique to our time. This isn't unique to who we are individually. This was the outset of humankind at the beginning of time. The first two people that walked the planet were named Adam and Eve. They were given one specific instruction. Please do not eat the fruit from this tree. You can do anything else. You can have anything else that you want to do. You can freely explore all of this creation. What is it that they do? They eat that fruit from one tree. And immediately what happens is their eyes are opened and they are filled with shame. God, who has this unbroken relationship with them up to this point previously, goes looking for them and says, hey, why don't we walk and talk together? And he finds them hiding. Hiding. 
five kids in my household, I have many memories as a parent of kids that have done something wrong and they run away and they hide out of fear. They think that, man, if dad really discovered what I did, I'm going to be in trouble. And the truth is sometimes they're in trouble, okay? Like this one time, my boys thought it would be awesome to throw things at each other in our living room, and then one of them threw this object right at our television. Shattered. Like the TV didn't shatter, like it stood, st- it stood tall, but the screen shattered. And they're wondering, like, hey, Dad, are you going to buy us a new TV to do video games? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, no. But the moment that it happened, you guess, guess what happened? They scurried away and hid. Like there was quiet in our house. That's when you know that something has gone wrong. It's quiet. How do you know when maybe the voice of fear is shaping your own life in some way? You start to get quiet or you start to get frantic. Quiet can mean you clear your social calendar and you're like, I don't want to see anybody right now. Quiet can mean I'm not going to talk about what's actually going on inside of me. Quiet can mean I'm going to resist the invitation and the help that others want to provide me in some way. Frantic means we try to avoid certain scenarios and situations and individuals. And it's all expressed in this whole reality of, of being captivated by fear. And so we're, we're, being, we're being motivated to hide in some way. It's super important for us to just call that out for what it is. Sometimes hiding is projecting that we're okay and we're not really okay. Sometimes hiding is going through the motions, but we've walked away from intimacy with Jesus a very long time ago. Hiding can bubble up in all sorts of different various expressions. That is why it is so very important that we are connected in true authentic community, not only with our creator, but with a group of people that can walk with us along the way. Because sometimes what's happening inside of us, it's we are even hiding from ourselves, but somebody else can see our hiddenness and can call it out in a loving, kind, and gentle way. See, the voice of fear always causes us to hide. Always. And there are various expressions of what that hiding looks like. But I'm here to say, even in our hiddenness, you are not beyond being found. Even in our hiddenness, you are not beyond being found. If God can find Gideon, who's hiding at the bottom of a wine press, and nobody else knows that he's there, and have a conversation with him, he sure can have a conversation with you and I wherever our hiddenness has taken us. The voice of fear can shape a little bit of who we are, but it doesn't have to determine our trajectory or our final destination. Instead, we can see it for what it is and see it as an invitation for greater intimacy and connection with the one who created us. So Gideon's here in this space, and he has this amazing encounter with God, and he says, hey, I've heard the cries of my people, and I want you to rescue them. With the strength that you have, I am sending 
you. I mean, talk about the most insane battle plan, okay? You got a guy who's not confident enough to, to make food for his family. He's hiding away. He, he offers a list of excuses. Hey, I'm from the least uh, tribe of this one connection of the community, and I'm in the least of my family. You're sending the wrong guy. Please send me a sign that you're actually really with me, and maybe I'll consider embracing the invitation of being sent out. I mean, that is fear that is shaping him in so many ways. And if we're honest, far too often, fear does the exact same things to us. A list of excuses, reasons why we can't. Lack of resources, lack of effort, lack of energy, lack of knowing, whatever it is. And instead of embracing adventure, we resist it because we're afraid. Now, thankfully, that's not the end of Gideon's story because that would be super depressing. Hey, we live in fear. And, but unfortunately, that's the reality for some of us. We're captivated, we're immersed, we're consumed by fear, and so we stay hidden. Not so with Gideon. So let's read further. Back to the book of Judges, chapter uh, 6, starting in verse 33. Remember, Gideon has asked God for a sign once already. Let's see what happens Starting in verse 33, soon afterward, the armies of Midian and Amalek and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abizer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung it out, wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me one more time request let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. It's interesting. Fast forward from where we first met Gideon to now this next kind of scene and moment that he's having with God. There's a call to arms. The people, all of their enemies have gathered against them. They're going to they're kind of generate some sort of military battle of some kind to once again dominate and overthrow and oppress the community and nation of Israel. So Gideon remembers, hey, God is sending me. I'm going to blow this ram's horn, which is a signal. Let's go to war. Let's go to battle. And I'm going to invite all the people in my extended clan to join me for this moment and this fight. All of them responded. And that still wasn't enough. We're going to talk about a little bit about the voice of pride. 
See, the voice of pride causes us to ask questions in an arrogant or self-serving manner. Here's what I mean by this. Pride is actually a mask for insecurity. Pride is a mask for insecurity. Like there's a fine line between confidence and pride. When you're always needing to be affirmed in some way, you've moved from self-confidence into the realm of insecurity, which is expressed as pride. This is exactly what's happening in Gideon's life. He's already had one sign from God that he's being sent by God to rescue Israel, empowered with everything that he needs, the strength that he's been given to provide for his family in this moment, and still he is not convinced. So he continues to ask for more, ask for more, ask for more. Now, it's not a bad thing to ask for more, The tension is, why are you asking? What's your motivation? For me, as I read this story, it's Gideon's insecurity. It's his tendency towards pride. We've all known people in our friend circles who have to be the center of attention in every conversation, haven't we? Some of you are like, I think I might be that person. (laughs) Just ask the person beside you and they'll give you a head nod. Or they'll be like, which means probably you are as well, okay? (laughs) This is what pride does. It's sneaky. It's sneaky. It infiltrates every facet of our lives, creating waves of insecurity all over the place. All over the place. And in our insecurity, there's this desperation and longing to be affirmed and filled in some way. Now, maybe you've heard of uh, the five love languages that Gary Thomas years ago made famous by writing about them. When he talks about one of them being words of affirmation, words of affirmation or encouragement. Words are a wonderful thing. I've shared two memories from my own life of my grade five teacher, Mr. Metzler, and one of my mentors and prayer partners, Dan, and what they said to me. And all these years later, it still shapes and impacts me to various degrees. Words can be powerful. But when we're always going and out in search of affirmation and craving self kind of fulfillment in some way, we're actually feeding our insecurity, which breeds pride. Self-consumed reality. That's what pride is. You can't see beyond you. You walk into a scenario, a situation, a conversation, a relationship, and unless you get something out of it, you don't want any part of it. This is what happens in the world of church all the time. People disconnect from church because it's not feeding me. It is not about you. It's not about you. It is about Jesus. Now, Jesus' life and what he gave and how he offered it and how he sacrificed himself, he did it because of you, but you are not the central figure of the story. Jesus is. It's Jesus alive working in you, through you, around you. That is the story that needs to be told, not just you. This is what I mean. There's this blurred fine line between confidence and pride. And it bubbles up in all sorts of ways. Imagine being connected in a romantic relationship with somebody that is never convinced that you actually love them. And you have to constantly feed to them affirmation in some way. 
The reality is there will, be never, there will never be enough affirmation to get over your pride unless you get outside of yourself and right-size your expectations. So even in this kind and gentle way where Gideon is petitioning and asking God, like the second time really is the one that hits home for me where he's like, please, God, don't be angry. You've already answered me with this fleece thing, but I want to do the opposite now. He wants to be 100% fully convinced that if he steps out, he is going to be supported, he is going to be known, he's going to be seen, he's going to be cared for. Part of following Jesus is being willing to be okay with some fraction of unknown. And that's hard. Because when we say yes to Jesus, we want to guarantee in a certainty. Now there's certain things that we can stand on. We can stand on the faithfulness and the character of God. That will never change. How that's expressed in our individual circumstances might look different. It might not mean that that financial investment and risk that we took is actually going to pay off. It might mean that it craters. And now the faithfulness of God is expressed differently than in terms of abundance of resources from a monetary perspective. The provision looks different, but the provision is still there. Jesus talks about the, the flowers in the fields and the birds that are created and how each one of these flowers is clothed in the way that God wants it to be and how these birds always have food to eat. And in that expression, when he's talking about those realities, what he's trying to get across is it does not matter what your set of circumstances are. The character of God will not change. God will remain faithful despite the challenge that you're in if you are willing and open to see where he is working. But pride, pride is a dastardly thing. It weaves its way into every crevice that we allow it to, breeding insecurity after insecurity and panic after panic. To the point where we convince ourselves that we actually are not insecure. We're right in our way of thinking. But we become so consumed in our self-reality self that we cannot see beyond our small box that we've created for ourselves. The voice of pride causes us to ask questions in an arrogant or a self-seeking manner. It's like being in a court of law where they're trying to get you to a specific answer that you know is the wrong answer, but they're leading you there anyway. That's what pride does. It destroys, it creates havoc, it creates chaos, it creates disconnect. So we've got this, this Gideon guy, and first he's shaped by the voice of fear, and then it morphs. And it becomes the voice of pride. But his story doesn't end there. Let's check this out in, in Judges chapter 7. This, this is where my hope and prayer is for each one of us, including myself, where we can land individually when it comes to being shaped by voices. Judges 7, starting in verse 1. So Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, 
tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, God, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. One group put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. Okay. This is where it gets all kinds of intense and really cool, I think. So we got this, this moment where Gideon is first shaped by fear. He's hiding. He kind of works his way through that with the grace and the mercy of God. Then he's filled with and shaped by the, the, the voice of pride where he's like, man, I, I need to know. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? And God works with him in that moment because God will never give up on us. And now we're in this point where they're facing the, the, the enemy advancement head on. They've moved their warriors to where the other enemy warriors are gathered, and they know there's going to be a battle of some kind. He starts out with 32,000 fighting men. Pretty intimidating fighting force at that moment in time. Probably feeling a little confident. Yep, no, we're going to be okay. And God speaks to him. He says, okay, here's the thing. If I let you go into battle with this mighty of a force, you all are going to think, you rescued yourself, so we got to whittle it down. Whoever is afraid can go home. Whoever is shaped by the voice of fear can go and hide. 22,000 of them say, peace out, thank you, that's all I needed, good night, I'm out of here. From 32,000 down to 10,000. That's a tough pill to swallow. As a general, going like, okay, 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 you know. 10,000, that's still pretty significant. Maybe I've got all my courageous warriors. Oh, there's so-and-so that, yeah, I've seen he can definitely take at least 50 guys on his own, so we're going to be okay there. Like, you're doing the math and thinking you're going to be okay. And then God says, no, 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 it's still too many. Here's the other thing. The way they drink water is going to differentiate how I'm going to use them. If you've got people that are going to cup water, and lap it up like dogs. I don't know if you've ever done that, drinking from a stream before. It's the smart way to drink water from a stream, okay? Because sometimes in a stream there's floaties, okay? <laughs> you don't want to just stick your whole face in and open up your mouth and get all sorts of goodness in there, okay? You cup the water and you drink it from there. That was the key for basketball tryouts, too. Everybody would, like, turn on the taps and put their head on it. No, rookies. You cup the water, and then you drink it from there. Only 300 guys drank water that way. From 10,000 down to 300. 9,700 other warriors that were willing to fight 
God says, send them home. 32,000 to 300, and Gideon doesn't bat an eye. Gideon doesn't back out. Gideon doesn't panic because the voice of hope has caused him to trust. The voice of hope causes him to trust. See, the voice of hope is gentle and kind and loving and nurturing. The voice of hope is inspiring. The voice of hope is persevering. And you know when it's the voice of hope because it helps you do something outside of your character. Gideon previously, if he was listening to the voice of pride and and the voice of fear, would not have been okay going into battle with 300 warriors. And here's the thing. If you read the rest of Judges chapter 7, you're going to see how God used those 300 to do something incredible and defeat the army in such a way, their enemy army, in such a way that they cannot claim victory on their own. It's only because of the provision of God that they were led forward. The voice of hope causes us to trust. The voice of hope allows us to stand up against the most challenging of circumstances and say, not today, I choose to trust. Man, if we could get into that space and in that posture where we're allowing the voice of hope to shape and guide us more often and more frequently than any other voice, that's what it means to love and live like Jesus. To stand in a hopeful, hope-filled posture. To, st- to look cancer in the face and say, not today. To look a broken down marriage in the face and say, not today. To look down at that, that obscure family member, the, the kid that's run away and won't answer your calls. The friction that you have at work. The friction in your, your family circle, your, your relational peers, peer circle and say, not today. God is not done with this situation. God is, God is not beneath this circumstance. He's going to work in it and through it and around it because God is God and I can trust him. That's what the voice of hope does to us and with us. And the sad reality is the voice of hope is way too foreign for many of us. We don't know what it sounds like anymore because we've been so filled with fear and pride and anything else outside of hope that we've lost sight of our ability to hear and attune our hearts and minds to, to experience hope. To know what it is when we encounter it. And I can do my best to pontificate what that's going to mean. But unless you experience it for yourself, you're not going to know. My words aren't going to motivate you. It's the presence and the voice of God that is the voice of hope. I can't help but think that we need more crazy individuals, more rock stars, more superheroes who are willing to be moved and inspired by the voice of hope so they can stand firm in whatever circumstances they're facing, trusting that God is God and he's going to protect, he's going to provide, he's going to give a way forward despite what we're facing in the moment. When car troubles bubble up, we can say, not today. When the bank account keeps getting drained and you're going to you start to get overwhelmed a little bit, you say, not today. When you look at your stock investments and you're like, ooh, 
30% loss. Woohoo! Not today. Not today. Not today. Not today. Here's the thing about the voice of hope. It doesn't mean that it allows us to transcend our circumstances, but it walks with us through our circumstances. See, pride and fear, they don't walk us through circumstances. They keep us, they keep us captivated by those circumstances, incarcerated, imprisoned in some way. But the voice of hope is the only one that will help us navigate through all the complexity of what we're facing in that moment. When I look at our world today, when I look at our city of Brockville, when I look at our region, I can't help but think, Lord Jesus, would hope guide us? There's nothing that I can say or do, but there's everything that you can say and do. And then as men and women who follow Jesus, our invitation is to go with the strength that we've been given, the hope that God has implanted inside us, and, and embrace the reality that we've been sent out in our region, in our space, to personify and demonstrate hope in those environments. Our workplace, our recreation space, and even in our own families. If we can learn anything from Gideon, I think we can learn that a leopard can change its spots. You got a guy who is absolutely immersed in fear and pride, and at this moment in time is captivated, inspired by hope. Because the voice of hope helps you drown out the potency of fear and pride and all other voices that take you away from Jesus. That's the power of hope. That's the power of Jesus. Now many of you might be like, Jason, I know that. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 plus years. Are you still afraid? Are you still worried about something? Confidently stand in hope. Confidently stand in hope. Waiting for God to do the seemingly impossible. And I can't help but think that this becomes a family story in the life of Gideon that creates waves for positivity moving forward. Somebody who was once known for something different is now known for hope. The voices that we listen to and we allow the power to shape who we are are important. So my hope and my prayer is that each one of us would allow the voice of hope to lead us more than any other. Here's what I did this week, and I want to invite you to do, whether that's right now here in this moment or throughout the rest of the week ahead. I sat down and I mapped out where I'm allowing voices to speak into my life right now. And I was surprised in some of the things that, that bubbled up as I asked those questions of myself and Jesus. My question was this uh, regarding fear. I've, I, I asked myself, where do I allow fear to create chaos in my world? Lots of different things bubbled up. Some I wasn't expected, expecting were bubbling up. And to name those fears, what I discovered is that they begin to lose power over me. One of my fears, I'm not going to tell you them all because we'll be here for a while. 
One of my fears is this idea of being abandoned, being hurt relationally by, by people just abandoning. And so what that does sometimes is it causes me to hide or shrink back from relationship. Because if I'm like, well, if I don't invest in it, then, then it, it's not going like, to come back to bite me. Where does that come from? That's a long question. I'll talk to my therapist about it. But it's interesting to see in moments where I've allowed myself to shrink back from connection with God and with people because I don't want to be left alone. I don't want to be abandoned. So I'll do the abandoning first. Crazy logic, right? Then we talked about pride and going like, oh, man, how many times do I ask God these self-serving questions and and God is a loving father, and so even with my kids, they ask me self-serving questions. I'm just happy that they're talking to me. I might not answer their questions in the way they want me to, but I'm happy they're talking with me. So to work through those was super life-giving. doesn't sound like it, but it was. Because I was able to name these linchpins in my own story and invite the voice of hope to speak into those. So now I can recognize when the voice of fear and the voice of pride and other voices are trying to take over. And then I can instead invite the voice of hope to speak into those circumstances. So this week, I invite you to do the same or a similar practice. Ask God, where is the voice of fear speaking into my world? Where is the voice of pride speaking into my world? And how do I need to invite hope into the situation, into the circumstances? The voice of hope is something you can only hear from knowing God. So if you don't know where to start, that's where understanding what hope is begins. Knowing that God loves you, that God created you, and God has a purpose and a plan for you. As we close our time in this facet of learning today, let me pray for you. Let me pray for me. Because we need a little bit of hope. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to learn from men and women who have walked miles that are familiar and yet different to the ones that we are in. I thank you for Gideon and his story, a man who was previously captivated by fear and pride and yet has found a way by your mercy and grace to be known more for being motivated and and inspired by hope than anything else towards the end of his lifetime. I pray that same theme into my own life, and I pray that same theme into the lives of the men and women of all ages gathered in this space and those tuning in online and via our podcast. God, I know the realities of what it means to be captivated and imprisoned by fear. And so for those who are in that space and can identify how they've been hiding from you and other people because of fear. Lord Jesus, I pray by your name that hope would break through in those spaces. That we wouldn't settle for anything less than what you have in mind for us. And Father, for those of us who have been uh, allowing over the years to, our pride to shape our, our trajectory in some way, this masked form of insecurity, would you 
Would you lead us by hope into humility, right-sizing our expectations of ourselves and trusting your expectations in all things? Father, I ask that you would allow us to experience infinitely more than we can ask of or imagine, not because of us, but because of you. In Jesus' name, would hope lead us forward. We pray these things in your name. Amen.